0: Hey there, what's going on? You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. My name is Jason Bay, but you can call me JBay. And this podcast is for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate it when they go to make a cold call and they're not quite sure how to respond to potential objections that they might get. So if that's ever happened to you, you're definitely in the right place. And today we're talking about a concept that is near and dear to my heart, and that's personalization, customization. We're talking about LinkedIn, and we're talking to Christina over at Personal ABM. Let's get to it. So personalization is one of those things, and you know, I don't know if you consume LinkedIn content or listen to sales podcasts. There's kind of like you know, personalization relevance is which which one is it? I, I kind of put everything into that bucket of personalization. There's just different effort and quality, I guess, that might apply to the personalization. So is it, am I using more than just like merge tags, let's say, and customizing the email with a first name or a company name? Um, Am I mentioning something that's personal to the prospect? Is it something that is also relevant and connected to their business or their job or whatever it might be? So I kind of throw personalization all under that bucket. But today what we're going to be talking about is particularly understanding like what would resonate personally with the person that you're reaching out to not like their favorite sports team kind of thing but like how would we connect what we do with what they would be interested in and what they value and that's a really hard thing to find because you got to kind of have business acumen and know a little bit about the industry and be able to read between the lines um so it's not it's not it's not easy so we're going to be talking about that today the other thing too is we're going to be digging into LinkedIn uh, Christina's specialty with these campaigns is like, they really create these awesome campaigns for their clients to get in touch with executives through LinkedIn. So she's going to run through what should be on your LinkedIn profile. What's a good headline versus bad headline, what we should put in our bio, what the sequence and approach looks like on LinkedIn. So what should we send when we say you got to lead with value? What exactly does that mean? Et cetera. So I think you're really going to dig this one. But before we get to the interview, I have a quick favor. We're looking to grow the show and continue getting on great guests like Christina. And one thing that helps is leaving a review on iTunes. So if you listen to the podcast on iTunes or have an iTunes account, go to blissfulprospectingcom iTunes. Or if you're listening on the player, just scroll down to the very bottom of the podcast page and leave a short, quick, honest review. I'd really appreciate it. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. So I was doing some research on you on LinkedIn and I'm curious. Because you got into the LinkedIn game pretty early, it looks like.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm an (laughs) (laughs) old-timer.
0: So what got you interested, I guess, in LinkedIn and saw this as a tool? And then what was it like back then? I wasn't using it as a more than just a resume i think at the time when you were getting started in there what was the opportunity that you saw and how did you get involved and in, like what did that look like
1: yeah it's interesting i was working for a marketing firm that was doing content marketing so they were getting articles published on top websites and on distributed on other sites and mm-hmm. and just working on getting content for clients so they were doing mid market small businesses and i i went to my boss and i was like you know i think we should Look at this linkedin platform i think it's something that we could integrate into what you're currently doing and use that content to actually get amplified and get to the target market and targeted prospects that you want to connect with and he's like i don't have time for that if you can make it work (laughs) if you can figure it out and it gets some value then we'll do it so i kind of took it on as a pet project And I figured out what was working and how we were getting people engaged. And, you know, it didn't have to be a a resume profile anymore. It didn't have to be a job networking site. It could be a social networking site, but social business networking site. And you can get clients and you could get, you know, referrals and you could get develop relationships with people that you probably wouldn't be able to otherwise and all over the world. And it kind of just blew up. Like I was telling someone the other day, we've been in business doing this particular, you know, this type of personal LinkedIn marketing or personal account-based marketing for about 10 years, I mean, we've morphed over the years and we've grown our org, yeah. but all of the clients that we've had have been all over the country. We've never actually met face to face. Yeah. So this whole digital thing is something that we've lived and breathed for a really long time. And I love it. And it's really ironic to me that I've made my whole business on something that I've never actually met someone and shook their
0: hand or had a cup of coffee with personally. So it's just, just, it's interesting. Yeah, it's like 99% of our clients too, actually. There's only one client we had here in Austin that wanted me to kind of go in and and do the training in person prior to COVID. But I actually like running coaching and training calls through Zoom more than I do in person because like there's a chat feature. So you could do a call with like 100 people and say, hey, what's your biggest challenge right now? And people can all chime in at the same time versus in person. What do you do? You got to have people raise their hand and then shout it out to you. You know, there isn't really a way to like interact with people like that. So this is just to give some context. So this is around 2011, you guys started your business, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, the content marketing kind of got sucked up into this business because we figured out that was doing better. So we've been since 2011, but that my business partner has been doing content marketing and different forms of marketing for even longer than that. But yeah.
0: Yeah. So basically, if I'm understanding correctly, this is like LinkedIn was kind of like people posted their resume essentially on LinkedIn and then LinkedIn articles, it sounds like were kind of a thing. So people weren't posting long form LinkedIn posts like they are now. They weren't putting videos really on there or doing status updates. No, no, it
1: was very, very bare bones and groups had started to emerge and people were trying to figure out how to do that. And that's right. There wasn't much news on it. It was a very, if you looked at the site 10 plus years ago to now, Mm -hmm. night and day, night and day.
0: Got it. So, okay, this is really interesting. So we're going to kind of talk everything today kind of through the lens of like the social and you know, people call it social selling, but, you know, using social right. LinkedIn in particular to kind of you know catch the attention of a prospect and that sort of thing. There's this pyramid that you have on, on your website and I've seen this information kind of referenced in one way or another, but can you give us some context into like the buying phases? And when you look at the people that you're prospecting to Because salespeople listen to this podcast, what's important for them to understand in terms of like where people are at in the buying phase when they're reaching out to them cold?
1: Yeah. Typically when you're reaching out to someone cold, it makes it very hard because you don't know where they are. You don't know if they even know who you are. You don't know if they know what your offering is or how you can help them. So you have to always lead with value first. You can't be talking about yourself. You have to put them first. And I'm sure that's something you talk about all the time Mm -hmm. is you put the buyer first and you speak to them as if you were trying to help them and educate them and teach them a new way of doing something, something that they could learn from. Especially if you're targeting anyone at, let's say, director level and above, they don't need another connection, digital or social They need someone that's going to add value to them. And if you're not bringing that value, whether it's on your profile or in your invite to connect with them, Mm -hmm. they're going to see through it right away. I mean, they've probably seen hundreds of messages like the ones that some people are sending. So if you can't stand out with that value first kind of approach, it's going to make your job a lot harder.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to dig into what that means because that's like really common sales advice that we hear is like, oh, add value and like share insights. And I think a lot of salespeople at least are kind of curious, like what that looks like or sounds like and that sort of thing. And essentially like what you show in that pyramid is that there's only like what, 3% of people at any given time that you reach out to that are actually like in a actual buyer's journey, right? Like people that are actually evaluating and looking at solutions. And what you pointed out is there's what, about 60% of the people you reach out to are kind of in this indifferent...
1: Status quo, yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm but they could be easily swayed by the value or the education or the insight or the different way of doing things. So that's like the underlooked part when we're prospecting and marketing is like people are not focused on capturing the people that are not in the buyer's journey. And I'm actually really curious before we get into the insights, what are your thoughts on the buyer's journey? Because there's kind of different viewpoints on is the buyer's journey kind of a... You know step a through Z kind of thing, oh, yeah, or is it more of like a circular kind of thing where people are at kind of all different phases? Like do you buy into like the buyer's journey or is there a version of that that you look at that you think is right or wrong?
1: I don't think there's one right or wrong buyer's journey. but obviously, I think every buyer's journey is different. So it might be a through Z for some person, but it might be, K through F, and then go back again to A. I mean, yeah. each person that you're talking to is going to have a different process of how they do things. And I forget what the actual stat is, but what is it, 60 or 70% of the buying decision is made before somebody engages with sales. So your buyers are educating themselves before talking to you, Yeah, meaning they're doing homework on your company, they're doing homework on you. So how you show up on social or digital platforms is going to say a lot to them before they even accept an invite to connect or accept a nurture message or accept an in-mail or engage with you at all, let alone take that conversation offline.
0: So that 60, 70%, would that be just for people that are actually looking for solutions? Would that not necessarily apply to people that are status quo, like not in a place where they're looking for solutions or have a problem that they're trying to fix or anything like that?
1: I think it applies to both. So like, say I invite you to connect, Jason. Yeah, I'm gonna invite you to connect based on something that I wanted to teach you or something that we could do together or an opportunity that I see mm-hmm. for you or for me or jointly, whatever. I'm not gonna say, I think we can help you achieve XYZ, let's connect, let's schedule a demo call. Cause that's not gonna go over well, right? Yeah. And even before I accept anyone as connection, I always look at their profile first to see what they're all about. If I go back to their profile and it says, I've achieved my sales quota for the last six quarters, year-over-year year growth, XYZ percentage of revenue attained, I President's Club awards and all this, and sales, 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 me, me, me. I'm not going to accept that because I know that invite to connect because I know that person's going to try to schedule me for a demo call or send me their calendar link so that we could call. Yeah. And I haven't figured out a reason of why I should talk to them. What is it that they even offer that would pertain to me? They know nothing about me and they're treating me like a number to get just a bunch of call scheduled or demo scheduled and that doesn't feel it doesn't feel good as a buyer
0: yeah god i'm wondering what the balance is there too because i'm thinking as a sales rep i want to have that stuff i want to have some sort of resume aspect to my linkedin so that i can get opportunities or have people reach out to me for opportunities but also i don't want to alienate the buyer okay We'll dig into... Because I definitely want to ask you about LinkedIn profiles. We'll come back to that. The insights thing I want to circle back on because this is kind of like the big thing with personal ABM, is right? is having something to teach people. Yes. Or having something to share or educate or some sort of piece of content. Can you give some examples of like, what does that look like? If you're reaching out to a CEO, you know, whatever example company you want to use, like what are insights are you sharing? Is it third-party stuff? Is it stuff that you should be creating? And I'm thinking as a sales rep too, potentially if I'm not on the marketing team and creating this kind of content, like is it stuff I'm just kind of scooping up from the blog or like, what does the content look like and sound like?
1: So I think it should be a mix of content. So utilize what marketing's offering, um, but put your own spin on it. So don't just share an article just to share an article. If you want to post something put your spin on it, say why you interpret it, why you think it's worth reading. Mm. It might be a long article. So summarize it for people and to say, I found this particular part interesting because of XYZ. You have to show people how your solution, how you as a seller or a salesperson can help them achieve better goals. So let's say you're selling something that's going to help them with productivity. How is that going to affect their team? How's that going to affect their operations? How's that going to affect their customers if they're more productive? You have to put your spin on the the content. I mean, obviously create your own if you can. That's ideally the best, but you can't just reshare third-party content and think people are going to read it. You have to give them a reason to read it.
0: Yeah. How do you figure out like how, and again, this might sound like a really basic question, but I'm thinking about like, You know, if I'm selling to a particular persona, some sort of C-level person, do you have a way of thinking about, or I know you guys create a lot of this content for your clients, right? Like, how do you think about, like, will actually resonate with that person? Because my fear is that I get a lot of people sharing content that's really just not very good or insightful. It's really like obvious stuff. Yeah. Like you should personalize your emails. And I think, well, hey, no shit, Sherlock. You know, like (laughs) I know that part. This is what I do. But like, why is that important? Like, what are some of the insights around like what other companies are maybe doing or thinking about? How do you know if something is good or not? And, and how do you know if it will like be something that you will actually care, that the person will actually care about?
1: Yeah, so I'm a big proponent of the challenger sale. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Definitely, yep. Okay, so you have to think about if you're sharing a commercial insight that's going to reframe how the person you're trying to sell to, how they think about their business, how they operate, or compete, or where are they now? What are they struggling with? What is it that you are trying to help them with? If you can reframe them on why it's such an issue for them, Mm -hmm. that is going to be more interesting than saying, we can increase your productivity by 10%. But what does that mean to me? Does that mean that I will be able to do other things? Will I be more successful? Will I have more time for other initiatives? Will I be able to hire more people because I will have more time To grow our business, how does that translate? How is that quantified? Mm. You can't just make these blanket statements. You need some kind of info to back it up. So if you're going to share a stat or if you're going to share information, make it a customer story. Make it a success that you've seen. Just got to have that extra info to reframe how people are thinking and make sure that they're thinking about their challenges in a different way, but it leads back to you and your solution or your offering.
0: So does it have to be pretty contrarian then in terms of like going against the norm of what, so for taking productivity, for example, is it like this stance of here's what most companies like yours are doing wrong when it comes to productivity or this type of thing? Does it have to be contrarian?
1: It doesn't have to be contrarian. It just has to be, we've seen organizations do this, Mm -hmm. or we've seen them have challenges with this or issues or struggle with this. XYZ, whatever you're trying to talk about, whether it's productivity, increasing revenue, driving sales conversations, whatever you're trying to talk about, not so much contrarian because that's going to put some people off, but just make them think differently. Because I know that if I'm learning from someone or, you know, they're teaching me something new, I'm more open to engage with that person versus someone who, like you said, is sharing something that everybody knows, personalize your emails or, you know, if you're just resharing the same info that all your competitors are doing, then you're just contributing to the noise.
0: Yeah. I want to get into kind of your zone of genius in this area because you guys create a lot of this content. How do you go about researching this kind of stuff? Because the content piece, I think, is so important because most content is just really shitty. Like, it's just so bad. Is there any sort of your process or any questions that you ask or any research or any things that you do to really find out like what's going to resonate with your clients, like prospects that they're reaching out to? Like, what is your process Because I feel like there's still going to be a gap with the salesperson here and that they're probably not going to be able to create stuff themselves that's very good. And I don't blame them because they're not a content creator. Yeah, it's not what they do. Yeah, it's not what they do and like the time part of it. But at the same time, the stuff that they're given from marketing is probably not that good either. And it definitely needs their perspective on it or some sort of third party kind of thing. So what might help is like when you're creating this content, is there anything that you think about or how do you learn about like what's going to really resonate with the prospect and like get that perspective that the challenger sale is really all about, which I think is so the hardest part of it is like, how do you know what the perspective is that the people you're reaching out to have? And then like knowing that perspective and then knowing what a different perspective or a different way of looking at it, like that's really powerful, but just getting that perspective, having that level of empathy for the people you're reaching out to is, is pretty tough in my experience.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the first things that we start off with is actually talking to longstanding customers or clients of the company, Yeah. because the value that you think you're giving, whether it's you know the, the value that maybe marketing tells you the organization offers or the features and benefits that you're seeing from marketing might not be the value that the customer sees. Mm-hmm. It might not be the benefits they see that you're offering. So, Talk to the customers, what they see, what they're experiencing, what they like, what they don't like. And that way, you know what other prospects are going to be able to resonate with. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge proponent of customer interviews, for sure. So so essentially, because this whole process, this personal ABM process is kind of like what you mentioned a lot is like finding out what's personally important to the prospect. So is this how you're kind of finding that out? Okay, one of these clients sold into a CMO, let's say, for example... And you're going to do an interview with that CMO and figure out a little bit more than obviously your job is to grow the marketing department, get better leads for your company, grow. Like those are the kind of the obvious things. Are you digging like a layer deeper? And I don't know. Do you have any examples maybe of like stuff that you hear in these interviews that like really sticks out that helps or questions that you ask or anything like that?
1: Well. First of all, we do our homework on the, let's say the target company, what's going on in that company, what's happening in the news, what's happening on their website. Are they seeing revenue drops? Are they in a hiring blitz? Are they in budget freezes? That's all homework that you should be doing on your prospects organization. So, you know, what's internally happening and then also look at their profiles. A lot of people give you some really great information in their profiles. Mm -hmm. We were saying how we shouldn't put a resume But some people do put the resume and they say what's important to them, what they're focused on, what they're doing. And you can look at their colleagues. Like if you're targeting a marketing department, what are all the marketing people in that company saying in their profile? Are they all focusing on one particular kind of effort that, you know, your solution would help them with? If, like, say you're selling a CRM or some kind of marketing automation for them, you have to do your homework on various ways, various sites. What are they talking about themselves on LinkedIn? What are they posting about? What are they interested in? They'll give you some hints and clues into what's personally important to them and what they're tracking on a personal level when it comes to their their job and their role and what their internal KPIs are. And then you can speak to that.
0: So like what an example of this, because I'm trying to kind of connect the dots for people here. So if I'm understanding you correctly, so, if I know that a lot of the CMOs that are good for our marketing automation sort of, uh, product, let's say, for example, um, a lot of these people are at companies that are growing right now. And one of the big indicators is that they are hiring. So, would a piece of content, like, would something like that be, you know, what CMOs, you know, at growing companies in this industry are thinking about right now in 2021? Is that kind of like an example of something? That you would talk about, like what's the? I'm trying to kind of connect this research into like the content piece. What does that? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, you could share something that you think is relevant to them. Yeah. But why is it relevant? Yeah. If you're not giving them that, answering that why for them, then you're just giving them an article for the sake of giving them an article. Yeah. And you become just an education resource for info, and then I don't see the value that you personally bring. So. What is it from that article that you learned that was the most important thing that they should be aware about as the the person that's reading it? So if you're talking to the CMO, like you mentioned, why should this matter to them? And how does that why lead back to you?
0: Yeah. So if we're connecting the dots then, because this is the part that I'm really digging into this, Christina, because uh, this is the part I think that's like the completely missing, like in the prospecting element, is like this connecting the dots of like, Here's what I see, the personalization, relevance factor. Here's what I want to share with you that could be helpful. And then here's how we can help you. It's like connecting the dots in those things is like really rough in terms of how most people will do it. So, so the why part, so you have this content and if we could just, and this again may sound like really basic, but if you were sharing an article with a CML whose team is growing that you can see like the company's expanding, you would say something like, hey, I think you should really check this out. And this would really help because it looks like you guys are growing right now. And when companies like yours are growing and adding headcount, oftentimes some of these things are things they should take into consideration that I thought would help you with what you're working on right now.
1: Yeah. Because no part in that conversation did you say, let's get on a call or buy our product or anything like that. You led with value and you gave them some insight into maybe something they hadn't considered. Yeah. And that's a major difference than saying, here's an article, read it. Like, why? Why would I want to read it? And why is it important to me? And how is it going to help me?
0: Yeah. And then connecting it back to you, what does that part sound like? Do you talk about your product in that case? Is it more like a big goal that you can help them with? Is it a case study? Is it like how you help other companies? Like, how do you then connect it back to your solution? And again, I we're using the CMO example. So feel free to use something that's maybe more applicable to like work that you've done. How does that part happen? Again, that's the piece I see that's like the hardest for most reps to connect like in their emails and like their cold calls. It's like, how does this and LinkedIn messages definitely like, how does this connect back to you?
1: Case studies that are very similar to the company that you're trying to Mm -hmm. prospect to. I think that goes back to people just not knowing who their ICP is and not being relevant. So don't share a case study that doesn't, the company doesn't look anything like my company or is not a similar challenge that I'm having. So it has to be a case study and pinpoint what part of that case study you want them to read. Because typically case studies could be very short or very long, but say, hey, I think the third paragraph that discusses this is so good, or page two is great, and it talks about this particular issue, and I think you should pay attention to it. So basically, you're making it almost like a, a synopsis of the summary of where they should pay attention to. And then if they find the value in that section that you pinpointed to them, then they will go back and read the entire thing and they will do more homework and they're going to be more willing to respond to you, more willing to talk to you, engage with you. If you've seen, you kind of warm them up with that prep of the case study and giving them that value up front.
0: Got it. Okay, cool. Do you sort of reference in your work a a LinkedIn study that they did where I think it was like 44% of B2B orgs are reporting significant drops in responsiveness. Is there other things that we haven't talked about where you see people completely missing the ball? when it comes to like executing this approach.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of this drop in responsiveness was magnified by C19, but this has been happening for a really long time. Yeah. This has been brewing for the last couple of years, but it, you know, everyone's been forced onto digital, so everyone's being more active on digital. Mm-hmm. I think what happened is a lot of people were pushing out messaging, pushing out invites to connect, pushing out content, just pushing as much as they can and not even thinking about what the intent was behind it. So, you know, buyers are looking on LinkedIn about you, about your company, about what your company is doing, what the info is that they're sharing before they try to engage with you and leadership or with a salesperson. So if you're not relevant all the way around, you're going to see more unresponsiveness. And I think it's also because you know people were just r- ramping up their messaging when they freaked out in the end of first quarter 2020 um because maybe the pipelines froze or deals dried up or conversations stalled or a lot of people might have dropped the ball and when it comes to sales conversations and not of their own doing just with the market and so i think sales and marketing kind of freaked out and just started pushing out more 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 and that's what they're adding to that noise that we were talking about and making it more of the same information yeah with no actual value and no relevance to their buyers. So it's just, how do you make a buyer shift through that noise if you're just going to push out more quantity versus quality?
0: Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you is that the quality aspect in pushing through the noise is having some sort of education to share with them. Some sort of insights, like leading with that thing, not asking for a meeting right away, like that sort of stuff.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you also have to keep in mind that You know, you have to shift to where your buyers are now. I mean, the challenges that they were having in the beginning of 2020 are not the same that they had now necessarily. And you have to see where they are now. I mean, the company that you're trying to target, let's say, did they have a major layoff? Did they have a drop in revenue? Are their budgets frozen and you're kind of just wasting your time trying to engage with them? You need to do your own personal homework on them to see what's going on and see where they are mm-hmm. and meet them where they are instead of ramping out the emails and the invites and the,
0: yeah.
1: the messages kind of pushing your agenda versus helping buyers think differently about the business and how an individual can have a greater impact on the their organization, their operations, their customers, their P&L.
0: Yeah. Does this approach work if the person doesn't really have a LinkedIn presence? So if they don't post anything on LinkedIn, if their profile is nothing more than just here's the areas where I've worked, does this approach still work for folks like that if you can't really find much about them personally?
1: Believe it or not, as long as someone is either actively posting or has, let's say, more than like 100 or 200 connections, then they're present, they're just not present as actively, if that makes sense. So most of the engagement we've gotten with people that are not posting a lot, but they're almost using the platform to learn and to read and to grow and just to get some insights. So maybe thinking of it as another business publication that they are
0: digesting type of thing, as opposed to interacting. That's how I would put it. Do you think that people make assumptions about like LinkedIn, oh, this might not work because so-and-so persona or so-and-so industry doesn't spend time on LinkedIn. Do you see people kind of overlooking a lot of opportunity there because they think that just because they don't post content every day, that those personas are not active on social?
1: Yeah, I totally, there's a misconception. I mean, we work with strictly B2B in our business yeah. and we work with some older school, more traditional, I should say, selling models where yeah. in manufacturing and logistics, in distribution. They're very old school, but believe it or not, their prospects are there and their prospects are engaging with them. And we're getting conversations from LinkedIn. Like they weren't responding to an email, but we were able to get them on LinkedIn or they weren't responding to a phone call, but we were able to get them on LinkedIn. So I think there is a misconception. If you're targeting B2B, I don't think there's an industry that's not present
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. Because the stuff, if you're on LinkedIn a lot, the kind of sales and marketing advice is like, oh, if if you're selling to a sales persona or a marketing persona or like a recruiting persona, like those people are on LinkedIn, all the rest of the stuff, like IT people, they're not on there. And it's like a lot of technical people, like- They are. We had someone on our podcast, Kayla, and she gets all of her meetings through LinkedIn and they are IT like data people, right? Like they're using LinkedIn. I think the other thing too is like, when you engage with people through LinkedIn, a lot of people have the email notification. So they get an email notification too, that you sent them a connection request, visited their profile, that sort of stuff. Yep. Okay. So if we were to get a little more tactical with like the, the approach on LinkedIn, it sounds like a really big part of this is the LinkedIn profile. Is there any kind of quick hitting tips you have around stuff we should or shouldn't have on our LinkedIn profile?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I just want to give you an example of a headline. So the headline, if people aren't familiar, is that that info right under your name on your profile. So instead of saying VP of sales, BDR at XYZ,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'll read you one that I just wrote for a client that actually sells marketing automation. So he is the VP of sales for them. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying VP for sales for his company, my team shifts B2C omni-channel retailers away from batch and blast marketing automation to stop unsubscribes and low customer engagement as buyers want relevancy. So that to me is much more appealing as a buyer than saying, oh, I sell automation, marketing automation, yeah. and I'm going to pitch you the minute we connect. So you got to have some value upfront. So let me just also read you about a paragraph or two from his profile to give you an example of what this would say, as opposed to being like that third person point of view, like John has worked in XYZ companies for 25 years and he has experience selling to this kind of buyer. That's a disconnect. And this is a social. It's so link. weird
0: when you it see a like. so weird. I get it, if I, you're like Bill Gates or something like that, you know, but it's so weird to read someone's LinkedIn profile because you know they wrote it in third person perspective too, which is even more weird.
1: It's so weird. It's almost like, when's the last time you read a book when you read the about author bio? And you're like, oh, this is interesting. (laughs) John lives in Seattle with his two dogs. Like nobody cares about that. They want to know what value you have. So let me give you this summary. I just brought it up to um, give you some context. Because C-19 changed consumer buying habits and customers demand relevant personalized experiences, many B2C omnichannel retailers are focused to create stronger buyer engagement. They want to win back minds, hearts, and wallets. However, most marketing automation platforms do not structure data in a way that allows teams to craft the right message for the right buyers at the right time. For example, I'm a proud father of a son that is now two years old. And when he was born, my wife and I shopped at the largest retailer for baby clothing accessories, and the retailer had 200 stores and strong online presence and a loyalty club that we were members of. Yet we continue to get email communications and ads for girls' clothes. They fail to leverage both online and offline data to only show us clothes and products that match our son's gender, age, size, even preferred colors and styles. They showed a pattern and past purchases and items viewed, so there's reason behind the recommendations. That's something they should be showing and a reason for us to stay engaged. So this just goes on to tell a little bit more of this person's story and what they saw in their background. He talks about in selling Eloqua and and Sitecore and Apsys for nine years, I learned about marketing automation platforms. And then he explains what he learns, how he learned it, and what are the issues that he saw. So it's talking to someone as opposed to at them
0: Yeah,
1: and it's sharing relevant value And another thing that I like to do in the experience section, typically people have their role title and then some info about what their role responsibilities are. But when we help clients with their profile and their online presence, we create several roles at the same time. For example, if you're selling to manufacturers and you're also selling to healthcare and you're selling into technology, you'd have a position that speaks to each of those three segments that you're trying to target, why the solution or why you can offer value to those particular audiences. So it's almost like many case studies and many sales conversations already on your profile. So it does a little bit more of, oh, that's why I should engage with this person, or that's why I should respond to their email or message or even discuss having a conversation with them and scheduling time with them because They're giving me value right away. So I know they're going to continue to give me value as opposed to just pitch me
0: right away. Yeah, a couple of really big things stick out with the bio. It's got like the problem, like it talks about the problem that the people they're reaching out to will likely have. Um, There's a story in there, you mentioned that. And it also talks about like, it's interesting because it gives the prospect a story about what it's like for as their customer, which is kind of interesting because like most people sell their stuff to the prospect. And they focus on a lot on like what that company or that person will benefit from personally. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times what that person will care about is how it will benefit their customers. And if you can kind of go a layer deeper, like you did there, and that's really powerful with the headline, I got a question for you. Yeah. I get not putting the position of the person in there. Is there anything that you recommend around the category? So like, for example, I put outbound sales coach and trainer in my headline Because a lot of people look for like specifically for a sales trainer and specifically around outbound, and I've kind of gone back and forth around because what I want to put in there is more like what the first line of my bio is, which is like you know helping reps that love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate when they go to write a cold email, they spend a lot of time on it, but no one responds. That's kind of how I talk about what I do. Um, Is there kind of a balance in there? Like, can you be too? I don't know if esoteric is the right word for it or too focused on like, you know, crafting that statement versus just like having something categorically that they will understand. So, for example, if you sell CRMs, I mean, is it good to have CRM in the headline just so people can see like, okay, this is a CRM or does that kind of mislabel you? And should you focus on something different or does it matter? I don't know.
1: No, I think for your particular line of work, Jason, I think what the way you've structured your profile is, or your headline is probably great. I personally test profile headlines all the time to see what works and doesn't work. Yeah, But you're in a different and a unique position because you're helping people with coaching. So they need to know that. Yeah, But if you're selling a solution or a product or an offering and you put the solution in the title, it should be kind of like a no brainer. If you're selling CRM, then the person could just look at the organization and say, oh, that's what they sell. What is the point of the CRM? Does it help you cultivate relationships? Does it help you drive better engagement? Does it help you close more deals? What does that CRM actually do? Because CRMs, there's how many different competitors that offer CRMs. So what is yours? Yeah, why, is, yeah. Yeah. why is the yours different? And why should I care about yours versus the thousands, like you said, that I could be looking into?
0: Yeah. So it sounds like it's okay to kind of categorically put your thing in there, but make sure to expand on like, is there something, is there a problem, a unique problem that's fixing, or are you on a mission to end? You know, when I think of with CRMs, it's like the CRM that just gathers data and doesn't help you sell. Yeah. That's the one that salespeople can't stand is I get like, I need to do this, but is it going to help me sell better? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So with the LinkedIn profile, I think this is the most underlooked part of people actually accepting your connection request too. And people don't realize that when there was this advice around, and I'm curious, this is what I want to ask you about next, is the connection request. I've seen a lot of advice around like, don't personalize the connection request. Really? And I'm like, you know what? If you're someone like me creating a lot of content and have a lot of followers on LinkedIn, and people can just go to my profile and see right away like what it is all about. And like the advice that I have and like all the content, like I could get away with doing that more than someone that's a sales rep that is not creating content that doesn't have any social proof on their site. And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, I'm better than this person. But it's like, I also do the other stuff to create the social proof, you know, but I still won't send out blank connection requests. You know what I mean? So can you kind of talk about the connection requests? Like what are the do's and don'ts of the connection requests? Cause I think this is another big mystery because people are either doing blank connection requests or you know, they're pitching in the connection request. I wanted to connect with you, Christina, because we have some prospecting training I'd love to share with you to help you get more business. And it's like, people are going to delete those all day long. But at the same time, I feel like you can't be too generic because then people are wondering like, okay, this person from this company is connecting with me. And they say that they love connecting with business coaches or sales coaches. And I'm like, I'll accept that just because I'm, you know, I want to see how people prospect, but I don't think that most prospects are like that. So what's the strategy... Do you send a connection request first? Is that the first part of this? Or do you follow the person first? Or like, what does the sort of engagement look like after we've identified that someone's someone that we want to connect with, we have an insight ready to share with them? Like what happens next?
1: Oh, that insight has to be shared in that invite to connect because I think of every interaction with a prospect as a mini sales conversation. So if I'm not giving value at every step Mm -hmm. of the way, then I fall into the ignore category or I fall into the delete category or I just get ghosted. So maybe they'll accept my connection if I'm lucky. And then if I try to follow up with them, I haven't been giving them value along the way, they're going to delete it. So do not send an empty one because you're coming out of left field. If you accidentally hit connect without the message, you can pull it and resend it so that you can send a personalized message. And it can't be, I, I, I want to share, 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 or I, I want to help you type of thing. It's, I see opportunities, I see value in this, I'd like to share this with you you have 300 characters to get some value in. So it's tight. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get value, but you have to give me a reason to connect. And it can't be that we have similar connections. We're in the same industry. We live in the same part of the country. Went to the same school. It has to be why, why should I connect? And if you can't answer that question before you hit send, then don't send it.
0: So do you link to something in the connection request too, like the actual insight, or do you save that for after the person connects?
1: I'm pretty sure you cannot put an actual link in an invite to connect. So that's why it's so critical to actually give them a tailored invite to them, tailored for Mm -hmm. their particular person instead of that template fill in the blank. So I know you were talking about personalizing thing, but being personal to them is going beyond putting their name in, putting their position in, putting in their company or industry. Yeah. Because it's only speaking to people that look like them. And that's how we have found that companies get stuck or leave the funnel because they didn't see that personal relevance that you're giving them. Yeah, You know, you didn't give a differentiation as to why I should connect with you versus, you know, competitors or a reason to prioritize your connection request or solution over others. Because I probably have a couple of mm-hmm. issues on my plate that I need to deal with. So why should I even bother connecting with you?
0: So what does a good connection request like? What's an example of what something like that might sound like?
1: Yeah, I was just going to bring you one up because I was sending a bunch before we spoke.
0: Oh, man, I really don't see anything different, at least people that connect with me, other than that I like connecting with people like you. Or you get the good ones too, where people are like, hey, I saw your content, like I'm in SDR, I want to follow your stuff. I mean, that makes me feel good, right? That's very personalized. It's like, that's exactly what the type of people I want to connect with. But yeah, so what does a good connection request sound like?
1: So I sent this one within the last couple of days. So I was reaching out to someone that was in my email campaign. I see opportunities to win market share away from, I put in their competitors, this particular person is a CRO, so chief revenue officer Mm -hmm. that also target specific industry. I put the industry in there. I'm just kind of making it a little more generic for you so that you can get the idea, you know, that also target this particular industry for local brand management, because that's what they offer. And because of your marketing experience, I want to share new personal account-based approaches that will help you gain more clients like Dickie's Barbecue because that's one of their clients that I got from their website. Yeah. So that's a little more interesting to a CRO that you're showing them opportunities is me like, I want to sell you my solution because I think it'll make you money. A CRO is going to see through that.
0: Yeah. So you're basically, it's kind of like the, you know, hey, I have this thing that I wanted to share with you, connect with me and I can share it. So does the next message then link to like, oh, hey, here's the article that I mentioned, or here's the resource or whatever.
1: Article, case study, third-party research. Yeah. And to nurture them. And I'm even in that next message, that nurture message, there's no calendar link. There's no demo link. There's no let's get on a call. I just wanted to share this insights with you and leave it there yeah and get them to read it and think about it and then follow up maybe in a week or two.
0: Gotcha. So what does the follow-up look like after that? Like what's kind of the skeleton of the follow-up? Like how many times will you reach out before asking for a meeting? Like when is asking for a meeting appropriate? Do you share more insights after that? Like what is kind of the generic skeleton of the sequence look like?
1: So after that second nurture message, I typically will engage with them two to three times, see if I get any engagement, whether it's thanks for sharing, or I really like that article, or can you share more, or... Some people will ask for a call right away, depending where they are in the buyer's journey. The second message or the third message, I might invite them to join my LinkedIn group if that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. I might invite them to a webinar that we're hosting and just to gain engagement there. Because if you jump too quick in that process and you force them through the funnel and you force them through your sales process versus the one that they want to create for themselves, that's where you run the risk of being put into that and ignore category.
0: Yeah. So if I'm a salesperson, I'm thinking here, like I can share the insight. I can look at to see if my company is hosting any kind of events or webinars or anything like that and invite the prospect to it. After the event, I could ask them, what did you think? Anything that you picked up, anything you learned, like that sort of stuff. And then at some point, when do we know when to be more direct and ask if they want to meet?
1: I would at least wait for two touches before asking. Yeah. And it asks, what's the reason for a meeting? Are you going to share them more, share more value with them? Yeah. Or are you scheduling a meeting just to schedule a meeting so that you can knock that off your list?
0: Yeah. So it's like, hey, I'd love to share more with you, Christina. Does it make sense for us to meet? You know, kind of thing.
1: And I'd like to share more about what am I going to get as a buyer out of that conversation? Are you going to learn how to achieve XYZ? Like reiterate it again, mm-hmm. what that value is, as opposed to, I want to share more. Let's get on a demo.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the part that I, in the companies that we work with, especially that it requires them to kind of change their sales process a little bit. Because a lot of the people that are hopping on these calls don't have anything to share in that first call. They literally have nothing. And some of the companies we work with are really big and they have nothing. Like there's literally no insight that they bring into the sales process at all. So there's no reason for people to want to take a meeting with you if you're not ready to buy something which is kind of crazy to me. Do you see that? I know we only got a couple minutes here left, but do you see that in some of the companies, like when you first start working with them, do you have to kind of work with their sales team too and be like, you can't have an empty promise here. you can't say, hey, I'm going to share value with you on this call. And then they hop on the call and then it's like, oh, by the way, we're going to do a demo for an hour here, you know, and not share anything with you. Is there any stuff like that that you have to have kind of work with the sales team on? It's like, hey, we got to be aligned here. I'm like what we're doing.
1: Yeah, it's almost like they have to relearn the sales process. So I think there's, there's four questions that most salespeople want to answer. So it's like talking to their buyers. It's how does it work? What are the benefits? What is the business case? And why should I trust you? And that's kind of the order that people typically go in. Yeah. But I think the ones that are selling, or I know the ones that are selling more and their top performers start with, why should I trust you first? What is the business case right away? As opposed to the features and benefits, the features and benefits are kind of icing on the cake, but the business case and why should I trust you and work with you is what's going to open that conversation and open that relationship so that you can get to the features and benefits later down the road instead of leading with the product
0: first. That makes sense. No, it absolutely makes sense. Cool. Yeah, there's definitely a ton more that we could talk about here, but this has been great. I think the perspective and the insight part was really cool. And then we got into kind of the the nitty-gritty, which I would definitely wanted to pick your brain on was like the LinkedIn profile. What does that look like? What do we send? What do the messages sound like? I really like that connection request Kind of uh, template too, where it's like, "Hey, I'm connecting with you because I see an opportunity to do this based on what I see your company already doing." It's very similar to how you would personalize an email, actually. So, uh, before you take off, Christina, where can people check your stuff out? Like, where can they connect with you? Like, what's the best thing to do for people that are interested in hearing more?
1: Yeah, the best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Don't send me a blank invite to connect. Send me a personal. One, tell me why you want to connect and why I should accept your connection. And also check out our website. We have personalabm.com. And we also started an education and events arm of our business called StopTheSalesDrop.com. That's a free community. We're doing Reboot Friday panels. We're talking to CROs, CSOs, and CMOs about how to reboot businesses in the B2B space. So check both those out.
0: Sweet. And we'll link to those in the show notes. And uh, Christina, thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate
0: it. All right, that was a really great interview. I really love that she went into depth with some examples around the headlines in the bios and specifically with the bio, it's kind of like telling a story, right? Having a little bit of empathy for your prospect, elaborating on the problem a little bit, telling a story and really talking about how, what you do and how this problem is impacting your prospect's customers. That's thinking just a layer deeper there. So pretty good stuff. I appreciate you tuning into the podcast and spending an hour-ish, with us and we'll talk to you later. We'll see you next time.